1: Welcome uh, to our study in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, if you're visiting, we're going through the, the, the Matthew chapter 5 verses chapter 6 and chapter 7. And tonight we come to Matthew chapter 6 and we're going to be in verses 5 through 8. Now this is a two-part lesson uh, entitled, When You Pray. This week we'll look at verses 5 through 8. And then next week we'll come back and look at the Lord's Prayer in verses uh, 9 through uh, 15. Now, I want to start with verse 1, because as you saw last week, in verse 1, Jesus lays down a, a general principle that kind of covers this whole section of the Sermon on the Mount. And what he says is this. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Now, what I want to point out here is... The problem here is what he's telling us to be careful of, is there's not not an issue with practicing your righteousness in public. That's not the problem. There's nothing wrong with doing things in public. Uh, In fact, the Bible tells us, let your light shine before men that they can see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's not the issue. The issue is the motive, and you see it what it says. Be careful of doing it in order to be seen by them. That's the problem. It's the motive. And Jesus says, if you do that, uh, you have received your reward. Now, that's the general principle. Now, there are really two areas of life where we perform uh, good works or we perform what Jesus calls uh, acts of righteousness. And that is what we would call our religious life and our normal life. And by religious life, I mean things like uh, giving and praying and fasting and teaching and preaching and serving and worshiping those type of things on the other hand you got normal life so this is this these are things like your marriage or how you handle your money or things like that but we should be practicing all of those things in a righteous way and so jesus is going to give us examples from both categories or both areas here in chapter six now last week he starts out by looking at uh, the religious life and last week we looked at giving uh, tonight we're going to look at praying, uh, which is one of the three pillars, by the way, uh, that of Judaism. When, when the Jews looked at good works, they said there are three things you have to do. You have to give, you have to pray, and you have to fast. And as I said, tonight we're going to look at praying. Now, I don't know if there's ever been a religion that valued prayer more than uh, Judaism. If you go back and read some of the writings down throughout the centuries of the rabbis, uh, they believed that prayer was the greatest good work. Out of all the good works you could do, uh, the greatest thing you could do is pray. In fact, they, they thought so much of prayer that they set aside three times a day that if you were a devout Jew, you would pray at 9 in the morning, you would pray at noon, and you'd pray at 3 o'clock. You see that, for example, in Daniel chapter 6, it says, Daniel got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God. So they, they valued prayer so much that they set aside uh, and disciplined themselves to do it at certain times. But for all the attention that they gave to praying, for all the value that they put on praying, at the end of the day, they did it wrong. At the end of the day, there was something wrong with the way that they uh, prayed. So let's see what Jesus says about it in verses 5 through 8. These are his words. He says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father uh, who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. Now, I want to make, before we get into the verses, I want to make a couple of um, of observations. The first observation is when, not if. I don't know if you noticed when we read those three verses, verse 5, 6, and 7, but three times Jesus said, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray. He's not even going into saying whether we should pray. He's not encouraging us to pray. He's basically just assuming that you're going to pray. Christians pray. Children of God talk to their daddy. It's just as normal as breathing. So that's just an expectation and or an assumption that as believers we're going to pray. Here's the second thing I'm going to point out, and and I've been pointing this out now for six months. We've been in this study about six months, and I've said it. I I can't count the times that I've said this, and that is he's talking to us, okay? When I say us, I mean believers, born-again believers, disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. That's who he's talking to, and I keep saying this over and over again, and I want to make a Uh, I want to put a focus on it tonight because there's something here we need to be very careful of. You see, when you and I come to verses like this, when Jesus points out people like pagans or hypocrites or Pharisees, it's very easy for us to say, yeah, Jesus, go get them. Yeah, call them out, man. Nobody likes them old Pharisees. Nobody likes hypocrites. Nobody likes braggarts. And and if we're not careful, we'll sit here and say and think, well, this is all about them. It's all about them. Now, listen, he's certainly using other people like braggarts and, and Pharisees and hypocrites. He's using them to contrast the right way of doing something and the wrong way of doing something. Last week, it was the wrong way of giving and the right way of giving. This week, it's the wrong way to pray and the right way to pray. So he's using them as an example of what to do. But please understand, his message is for us. It's not about them. He's not preaching to them. He's not teaching them. It's about us. And if we get caught up in thinking it's all about them, we'll miss the relevance for our lives. And in fact, we'll miss the entire uh, point. We've got a saying, right? You can't see the forest for the trees. You know what that means? That means you get so caught up in the little details that you miss the big picture, right? We got to be really careful in this sermon that we don't get so caught up in the details that we miss the big picture. In fact, let me give you an example because there's something here, a big picture of something. If you're not careful, you'll you'll miss it. And I want to explain this. And I'm going to get to the verses here in a minute, but I wanted to cover this. If I asked the most people, what is sin? I went into Publix or Winn-Dixie and I just said, what is sin? Most people would probably immediately start calling out actions, right? They'd say, oh, sin is drunkenness or adultery or greed or jealousy or blasphemy or homosexuality or stealing or lying. They would start listing all of these actions. And those are certainly sins, okay? But if you only think of sin like that, you will completely misunderstand sin you will completely misunderstand it in fact listen to Romans chapter 7 this is the apostle paul and watch what he says he says for i do not understand my own actions for i do not what i want but i do i do not do what i want but i do the very thing i hate so now it's no longer i who do it but sin that dwells in me and then he says it again later in the passage it is sin that dwells in me you see, when Paul talks about sin in Romans 7, he doesn't talk about it as drunkenness and adultery or or, or or lying or greed or any of those things. He sees it as a power that lives inside of each one of us. If you don't like the word power, think of it as a, as a disposition or a state of the heart or as one commentator I read, he calls it a pollution. There, there's, this, there's something inside of us. And and basically, the best way to I, I think to explain it is sin is the essence of sin is basically a tendency in ourselves towards self worship. Here's here's my best example. If any of y'all ever driven a, a car or truck that's out of a line, you know what I'm talking about, right? You're going down the road and it pulls, and if you take your hands off the steering wheel, it'll just it'll just go into a ditch. That's what sin is. Sin is like our lives, it's always pulling us towards self. It's always tempting us towards self. You just take your hands off the wheel for a second and you'll go off into self-worship. As Christians, we have to fight it. We have to keep our hands on the wheel because sin, it lives in each one of us. In fact, what's so important about Romans 7 is, is what Paul is telling us. This is Paul, born again Paul, and what he's showing us is that power stays with us even after we're born again. Even after we're a new creation in Christ, we still have to live in this, this body. And that power of sin or that pollution of sin, whatever words you want to use, stays with us and follows us wherever we go. Now here's a question. Would it even follow us into the presence of God? Would that power of sin even follow us into the very presence of God. Well, let me ask you a question. Can we all agree that a human being can perform no greater greater moral act than to fall to their knees and pray to God? Did you know that the, the, the greatest thing you'll ever do in your life as a human being is get on your knees and commune with God? You'll never do anything better than that. You'll, do, ever do, you'll never do anything more noble than that. That is, a, that is the greatest moral act a human being can ever do, is to pray and commune with God. But according to Jesus, even there, sin is intruding. Even on your knees in prayer, sin is right there, still trying to make it all about you. You see, we, most of us tend to point to the, the drunk or the drug addict in the gutter, and say, that's sin. Well, that's really the symptoms of sin. That's the result of sin. That's the end of sin. But that's not the essence of sin. If you want to find the essence of sin, find the most devout, pious, spiritual man you can find and find him down on his knees. You you want to know what the essence of sin is, go find you a praying woman on her knees in the very presence of God. And I'll tell you, even there, Sin is intruding. Even there, sin is trying to pull them. Listen, I'm not making this up. You've tried to pray? You ever tried to get along with God? And you ever tried to focus in on God? Not easy, is it? Sin's right there. Even the saints of God are being pulled. They're being tempted. It's all about you. It's all about you. You see, this is why Jesus is saying, Beware. Be on your guard. Hold on to that wheel. Because in prayer or any act of righteousness, there's always going to be the temptation to make it about you. Always going to be a temptation to make it about you. Now, Jesus, in these verses, gives us two examples. And they're different. And I want you to see how they're different. The first example, he says, don't be like the hypocrites. Now, here's the thing you need to notice about the hypocrites. Hypocrites always put the focus on themselves. It's all about them. But then he brings up another example of a group called pagans or unbelievers. Now, they put the focus on the prayer. Now, they're both wrong, right? Because where does the focus go? To be on God. One group puts the focus on themselves. The other group puts the focus on prayer. But they both make the mistake of not putting it on the one to whom the prayer is going to. So let's look at these two examples. The first one, Jesus says... Don't pray like a hypocrite. Verse 5. He says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Now, many of you, if you've been in church for a long time, you know that the hypocrite is a Greek word, and it means an actor in a play. Uh, It's somebody who is pretending to be something that they're not. They're acting. And their goal, of course, is to get the audience's applause, to get the approval of um, of the audience. Now, can we be honest here tonight? I hope I'm going to be honest with you. You can at least shake your head if I'm, sometimes I sit up here and I'm telling something, I'm thinking, are they, do they really think like I do? Uh, or am I all by myself? So here's, let's be honest. It is hard, remember, every single one of us have this thing called sin, this pollution inside of us in our flesh. And it's always pulling us, always pulling us towards self. That makes it hard for human beings to do any type of worship, any type of ministry, any type of service to God without feeling that, that pull. For example, I guarantee you that if you talk to any of these people that are up on the stage on Sunday singing or playing an instrument, I guarantee you the thoughts come into their mind, I wonder how I look today. I wonder what they think about me. Do they? Are, are you with me? Just, just pray. You ever prayed publicly in a, in a church and you're praying and you're and in your mind you're thinking, boy, I wonder how I sound. I wonder my are these, are these words good? Am I am I motivating them? Or you raise your hands in worship and you're thinking, this thought comes in. I wonder what they think about me. They think I'm a fool or they think I'm spiritual. Or am I the only one? Shake your head. Am I the only that, Folks, let me tell you, that's natural. That's not odd, okay? That's, that happens to all of us. It's that power, that pollution of sin. that's always trying to make it about you. Now, here's the difference. See, as a Christian, we fight that. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. We don't give in to that. We say, no, no, I, this is not about me. It's about Him. We fight. The difference is hypocrites don't fight it. They embrace it. That's the difference. We fight it. We get that hand on the wheel and we try to jerk it back into that lane and we say, I will not do that. Hypocrites don't do that. Hypocrites just give right into it. In fact, they love it. That's the difference between a hypocrite and a Christian. We fight, they embrace. Look at verse 5. Jesus says, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. The problem here, as I said earlier, and I'll bring it up again, the focus is on the one who is praying. The problem is not that they're praying in public. The problem is not that they're praying on a street corner. The problem is they love to be seen. It's a problem of their motive. It's a problem of their heart. They want all the attention on them instead of the one to whom the prayer is being offered. Now, Jesus says a couple things about them. First of all, he says they love to stand and pray in a synagogue. Think about that. If he said that today, he'd say they love to stand and pray in church. They love that, man. They love to be called on. They love for people to to see them. Now, Jesus tells a parable in Luke 18. and Y'all are all familiar with this. It's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Two men went into the temple to pray. And he says this. He says, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed. And the tax collector, it says, standing afar off. Now, here's what I can't tell you about the Pharisee. I don't know exactly where he was. But I can tell you where he wasn't, and he wasn't far off. You see the tax collector's standing in the back he he's sitting way in the back and he's praying to God, but not the tax collector I mean not the Pharisee, the Pharisees up front. the Pharisee's in a position of prominence because he loves to be seen. he's not going to stand in the back, he's going to make sure you see him when he prays and then Jesus says, not only do they love to pray in church. They love to pray on street corners. Now, what's up with that? And the word here, by the way, is a, is a different word that's used other places in the gospel to represent a street. This literally is the correct translation. It's a street corner. It's where two major thoroughfares come together, and it's super busy. Like, like Monroe in Tennessee, right? It's, it's a, where two major threats. that's the word that's being used. Why would they pray on the street corners? Well, remember what I said earlier. They prayed at 9 a.m., they prayed at noon, and they prayed at 3 o'clock. So if they were going somewhere and it was 12 o'clock, they would stop where they are and they would pray. One commentator said this, that they would actually time it. Can you imagine? You're sitting there thinking, well, if I leave now, I'll be at the corner of Tennessee and Monroe right at 3 o'clock. They would time it so they would have to stop where it's the busiest and get on their knees and pray. And everybody would say, wow, look at that guy. Man, that guy is devout. That guy is spiritual. That guy is is pious. Some of the Pharisees even wanted people to think that they were so religious that they couldn't wait to even get to the synagogue. They had to pray before that they got there. That's how how spiritual they were. In fact, let me give you an example. Tell me what you think about this. Let's say this Sunday... Morning. A man drives up in our parking lot and he parks, and he gets out of his car. And everybody's walking in, and he gets out there on the concrete or out there on the pavement, and he stops and he gets down on his knees and he begins to pray. Just he couldn't even wait to get inside. He's praying in the parking lot, and we walk by, and 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 some would probably think that guy's crazy, but there would be people who would look at him and think, "Man, that's a, that guy's spiritual." He can't even wait to get inside. And then he comes up, he finally finishes, he walks in, he gets into the lobby there, and once again, he can't even get to the doors. He's got to get on his knees again and pray. And people are walking by thinking, man, that guy's devout, that guy's pious, that guy is religious. Really? Not according to Jesus. In fact, let me ask you a question. Do you really think there's anything about that prayer he made that's that's any more effective than just walking and praying silently to God? Do you really think that because you stop in the parking lot or stop in the lobby, that somehow your prayer, God's going to give you points for that? That's the whole point of what Jesus is saying. It's not about how many words you use. It's not about how long your prayer is. It's not about where you are. It's not about the time of the day. It's about your heart. It's about your motivation. That guy that guy gets no more credit for doing He just wants people to see him. And Jesus said he's got his reward. You're never going to get any more than that. If he wants the applause of people, that's what he got. But he's not getting anything from me. Listen to what Jesus says, but when you pray. Verse 6, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, let me repeat something that I've said multiple times, and I'm going to say it again. The Sermon on the Mount is not a code of ethics. It's not a set of rules that you go to and say, oh, look at that. Jesus said don't pray publicly. If you think that, you completely miss what he's saying. That's not what he's saying at all. You've got to remember, the Pharisees, they're not, they're not interested in praying in secret. They only want to pray in public. They don't care. They hardly ever pray in secret, if at all. That's all about praying in public. What he's saying to you is you should be about secret. That should be your focus. Jesus, so I want to I make sure we understand a few things. First of all, Jesus certainly does, is not saying that praying in public is wrong. Go back and read the book of Acts. You'll see the early church met together over and over and over again and, and had public prayer. There's numerous examples in Scripture of public prayer. That is not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is condemning are insincere prayers that you make to impress people. It's about your heart. Who are you praying for? Are you praying for men or are you praying for God? So let me give you a few guidelines, if I I will. I'm going to give you a couple of guidelines. Number one, the vast majority of your prayer life should be conducted in secret. The vast majority, I won't put a percentage on it, but if I did, I'd say 99.99999% of your prayer life should be conducted privately and in secret. In fact, let me say this. Can we agree that if you find a man that prays more in public than he does in secret, he's got a real problem? Can we agree on that? Can, Can we agree that if you find a man that prays more in public than he does in secret, that he's probably a lot more interested in the praise of men than he is in the praise of God? Your your prayer life should be conducted in, for the vast majority of it, should be conducted in secret. Secret prayer, private prayer, is a great test of your relationship with God. You're, you're not, you're, there's only one person to impress, and that's God. There's nobody else there to listen. It's just you and Him. That should be the vast majority of our prayer. Now, here's the second one. When you pray in public, Don't pray differently than you do in private. Now, I put an asterisk on that because I need to clarify what I mean by that. And I want you to listen to me very carefully here, okay? Tonight, when I finish this lesson, I'm going to pray, okay? Let me tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to pray for my own needs. That, That would just be weird, right? If I said, let's pray. and God, you know I've been having a hard time with, that would just be weird, right? No, when, when I pray, I'm going to pray situationally. I'm going to pray that God take this word that went out tonight and impress it upon our hearts. Don't let state, Satan steal it away like the seed on the hard ground, but, but bring forth fruit. That, that makes sense, doesn't it? There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. You can pray according to the situation. If, if I'm here Sunday and Pastor Henry says, Derek, would you close the service in prayer? I'm going to pray, God, we've heard the message. You know, take this message and press it upon our hearts. Let us walk out and be the light of the world and the salt of a tasteless culture. Help us. Are you with me? There's nothing wrong with with those things. But the focus and the attention always is on God. That never changes. Yesterday, listen to this coincidence. You're not going to believe this coincidence. Yesterday... I had the privilege of opening the Senate in prayer. So, uh, uh, Corey uh, Gore, a young lady from our church that works at the Senate, reached out to me a few weeks ago and says, Hey, we're we're looking for people to pray opening the Senate. Would you be interested? And I said, Yeah. And so, we worked it out. And so, we finally decided on yesterday, May the 2nd. And uh, so, they sent me the guidelines. You know, there's guidelines, right? They sent me suggested guidelines. And I opened them and I read them and they said, well, we would prefer that you don't use personal names or personal pronouns and that you call God things like almighty God or creator of the universe, things like that, right? And they had a couple other things. And so I emailed her back and and I told her, I said, "Uh, I can't do that. I, I said, I pray every day in jesus name every day in my private prayer i I close it in the name in christ's name in jesus name for me to go before a crowd of people and to take that off how can i do that that's against my conscience i can't do that that would be changing my prayer to fit men that's what he said don't do that don't pray for the approval of men and I told her, I said, this is how I'm going to pray. And she said, okay. <laughs> and I said, you can uninvite me. I said, it's all right. I'm not no hard feeling. She said, no, just do what you need to do. So I did. Yesterday, Kathy and I went up and they ushered us in the Senate and called me up. And, and uh, they all stood up. And I said, Father, not some creator of the universe, but you're my father. And I talked about His Word, and I talked about the fact that one day we're all going to stand to account before Him. And then I closed it in His precious Son's name. See, now, now by the way, the prayer was absolutely appropriate. I prayed for them to work together to have patience and and wisdom and courage to do the right thing. It was a very situationally appropriate uh, prayer. But what you cannot change is your motive. And your motive is to keep God the focus. It ain't about me. It ain't about them. It ain't about the words. It's about him. That's what I mean when I say you pray in public the same way that you pray in secret. You don't change it for men and women. Your public prayer should basically be an overflow of the way you pray in secret. You know, I'm sitting sitting and I'm praying in secret and I'm talking to God and God, I'm You know, I'm talking to God. I'm communing with God. I walk out in the public. I may say different things, but I'm still doing the same thing. I'm just talking to God. God, you know what I need. God, you know what we need. God, take this word and do... Are you with me? It's the same thing. Situations change. But you pray in public the same way you pray in secret. Now, this is the second thing Jesus says. Don't pray like a pagan. Okay? Let's read the verse 7. And when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Now, listen, that word Gentiles technically means anybody that's not a Jew. But you've got to understand, to the, to the Jews, Gentiles are those outside the faith. They're heathen. They're pagans. In fact, we are the true Jews, by the way, Paul says. We are children of Abraham by faith. We are true Jews. Anybody outside the faith is a Gentile. So that's what he's talking about. He's talking about pagans. He's talking about heathens. Don't pray like they do because they heap up empty phrases and they think, they do that because they think they'll be heard for their many words. Let me say a few things here. First of all, Jesus is not saying you can't repeat yourself. In fact, Jesus did that. Matthew 26, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed three times. And, and it says in 26.44, he went away and prayed the third time, saying the same thing once more. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. It, it, that's not what he said. He's not saying you can't repeat yourself. He's not saying your prayers can't be long. That's, that's not what he's saying either. In Luke 6.12, it says this. It was at this time that Jesus went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God he's not saying you can't repeat yourself he's not saying that you can't have long prayers what he's saying is you don't gain anything by god in god uh, with god by repeating yourself you don't gain anything by praying a long prayer you don't get extra points god don't say man look at that guy he went two hours no he's looking at your heart he's looking at faith a short prayer can 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 Are you with me? It's not about, that's the whole point. It's not about time. It's not about the amount of words. It's not about the place. It's not about any of those things. It's about your heart. He's not saying you can't be persistent. He's not saying you can't come back again and again and again. I think I've prayed more this week for a certain little girl than I've prayed in the past month. And I've kept coming back and coming back and coming back yeah, that's perfectly fine. Luke eleven eighteen, 18, Jesus told a parable of a man that goes over to his friend's house to get some bread. The guy's already gone to bed and his, and his friend says, go away, man. I, we we all in the bed for the night. And the guy keeps knocking. He won't quit knocking. And Jesus said, I tell you, though, the, though his friend will not get up and give him anything just because he's his friend, yet because of his persistence, he'll rise and give him whatever he needs. Sometimes... God just, we need, do you really want it? Do you really want it? Do you really want it enough to keep asking for it? Jesus is not condemning that at all. You see, the problem with the pagans is they put their focus on the prayer. If I just pray a wordy prayer, if I just pray a prayer that repeats itself, if I, if I pray long enough, then somebody will hear me. See, their entire focus is on the prayer not on the one that they're praying to. The greatest example of this is Elijah. Y'all know the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And, you know, a lot, there's a big showdown, and, and Elijah against all these prophets, and they, they, they build an altar, and they kill an ox, and they put it on it. And he says, call on Baal to send fire down from heaven. And it says this, they called on Baal from the morning until noon, and no one answered. And so they begin to cut themselves with their with their swords and their knives, and thought, well, you know, God, he'll hear us if we cut ourselves. Nothing. And then they prayed, it says, when midday was past, they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. This is what pagans do. If we cut ourselves, if we, if we just say these chants and words over and over and over, if we do it for hours and hours, if we get, then God will hear us. No. God's saying that has got nothing to do with nothing. That's how pagans pray. You still see it today. I was reading uh, uh, an example of these Tibetan monks. They have these things called prayer wheels where they write uh, prayers on these little wheels. And when you spin them, the, supposedly the prayers are supposed to go up. So they just sit there for hours spinning these wheels. Can you imagine? Or how about rosary beads? Pray in the, pray in the rosary. Repetitive words over and over and over. But we got to be very careful. I remember as a kid growing up, played a lot of sports, and we'd all bow and say what? Let's say the Lord's Prayer. We had no clue what we were talking about. You prayed it, but it was just words. Empty, vain repetitions. Folks, that's not prayer. That's not prayer. That's not communion with God. That's not talking to your Father. See, the problem with pagans is they make prayer into a ritual because they don't have a relationship. See, if you don't have a relationship, then you'll make prayer just into a ritual. But folks, he's our father. It's a relationship. It doesn't have to be a ritual. It doesn't have to be about the amount of words or what the words are. It's just our heart. Now listen to what he says. But when you pray, now listen. I, I don't know. I've got a, I've it on my computer screen at home. I've got a scripture there about prayer that I, that I try to read every day. It's not this one, but this would be a really good one to put up somewhere. These are some of the greatest words in the Bible. Jesus said, do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. I'm going to make this quick. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I'm going to look at two phrases. The first one is that, your father. Your father. This isn't some creator of the universe that exists off in the in the ether somewhere that that we're no he's our father we're his children this is a relationship you know i pick up my phone and call my dad i i I can i can i can pick up the prayer phone and call my father in heaven and we can talk that's i mean think about it this way that really is the essence of prayer it's not about turning a wheel or, or counting beads or, 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 or saying a lot of vain, repetitious words or, or spending hours and hours. It literally is about approaching your Father. If you could keep that in mind when it comes to prayer, whether you pray private prayer or public prayer, you ought to think, okay, I'm coming to talk to my Father. You do that and everything else will fall into place. Trust me. Keep that one thing in mind. I'm talking to my Father. Everything else Will fall into place and then he says this your father knows what you all right not what you want what you need that is a huge difference do you understand that is a huge difference you've heard the story I've told it before some of you may not when I was a kid and this was a, a, a lesson that I learned when I was a kid, a teenager, I, I'd saved up some money. I wanted to buy a car, and uh, I, so I had decided I want this 68 or 69 Camaro. And I found one, and it had a, I think it had a 305 or a 308, I can't remember. And boy, I wanted that car, and my dad said, no, you'll kill yourself in that car. Man, I wanted that car, but he said, that's, that's way too much engine for you at 16 years old. You're not having that car. So I said, okay. Well, a friend of mine had a Jeep. And I just thought that Jeep is just the coolest. That's a cool." So I, I moved on to the Jeep. So I wanted a Jeep. And, I, I, and my dad said, no, them Jeeps will roll over and kill you. You can't have one of them. So it, it, the, the point being, he's right. I had no business driving that hopped up Camaro. And I had no business at 16-year-old driving a Jeep. I probably would have got killed. He knew better than me, not what I wanted, but what I needed. See, your father knows what you need. not what you It's not about what you want. He's not some Santa Claus that you put a, a quarter in and he just answers your wish and gives you everything you want. He's your father. And sometimes you're going to come to him and ask him for things and he's going to say, no. No, that is not best for you. you. I could give you that and it would destroy you. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. See, that's the beauty of this relationship is it's not about, hey, I, I, you know, if I got enough faith or if I could just do this and I can get, no, it's just about a relationship. And if he, sometimes he says no, and that's hard, but you trust and you believe that he knows what's best for you better than you know for yourself. And that's what Jesus is saying. He knows what you need before you even ask him. I've been praying a lot this week, as I said, for a little girl, and, and I, I've just been going back to this scripture again and again, just saying, God, I don't even have no words, but you know what we need. You know what we need, God. Touch her. Get not fancy, not long, just every time I think about it, just coming to him, God, touch her. God, touch her. God, touch her. God, do what you do. Help us, please. We need you. Just simple, heartfelt words the way that you would talk to your uh, father. Let's pray. Father, Lord, thank you for the privilege and the honor to be able to pray, to be able to come to you when we are hurting, come to you when we are celebrating, come to you with the mundane things of life and just have a conversation. And God, you're always there. You're always listening. And you're not some deity off in the distance that, no, you're our Father, and you want to have a relationship with us. I pray tonight, God, that somehow, way, this word that's come out of my mouth, and the best way I know to explain it, God, it will somehow, through the Holy Spirit's power, change our prayer life. Change our prayer life. I know that I'm, I, I need to get much better in my prayer life. My guess is that most of the people here, a, a, a lot of people here, don't pray the way we ought. God, help us. Help us in these days and times where our, our church needs us, our community needs us, our family needs us to pray like we've never prayed before. And I ask you somehow, way, God, take this passage, take this scripture this week and next, and impress upon us not just the need to pray, but the way to pray. God, you are our Father. I say it again. Thank you for that. Thank you that our prayer is not like hypocrites putting on an act. Our prayer is not like pagans who who think that somehow we're going to get something because we do it a certain way. But our prayer is a relationship. God, help us never to forget that. And God, I pray as, 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 this, as this prayer Uh, grows in our body as we begin become more and more praying people that God you'll use this to change our families, change our schools, change our workplaces, change our our families. And I ask all this in your precious son's name and for his sake. Amen. Amen.
0: You are dismissed. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at com for more information and directions.